0: We've all heard of the game tennis, but before tennis was the game that we know it to be today, there was a game that uh, the French played called jeu de paume. It meant the palm game because before there were rackets, they simply hit the ball with their palm. And before the, the server would serve, they would shout the word, Tene, spelled T-E-N-E-Z, which around 1400, the the English began to pronounce that word as tennis. Now, that word tene, it it comes from a verb that means to hold, Uh, but linguists believe that, that the way that they were using that in everyday conversational language at that time meant to look alive kind of like shouting heads up. So when they, were serve, when they would serve, they would say 10A, they would say, look alive. So since September, we have been in a series titled Undeniable Joy. And as we've been going through this series, we've simply been walking through the book of Philippians. And we're gonna close this series out today. So one last time, let me remind you of our working definition for biblical joy. Joy is that good feeling of peace, happiness, and contentment that comes from the spirit that's at work within us regardless of the circumstances that are at work around us. And remember, the spirit that we've been talking about throughout this series, it's not our own spirit, it's not some mystical spirit. We've specifically been talking about the Holy Spirit which is given to every single believer upon the moment of our salvation. And so if you've given your life to Christ, then you have received this Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in your life, and therefore you have a Spirit at work within you that can produce joy in your life, even if the circumstances of your life are not joyful. Now, if you haven't yet given your life to Christ, then understand that's where you need to begin. As humans many times we begin with the pursuit of joy. We start looking for joy here, there. We start looking for joy everywhere. When really we need to begin with the pursuit of Jesus because let me let me just tell you a secret. When you find Jesus, you will find joy. When you find Jesus, you will find this true biblical and undeniable joy that we've been talking about throughout this series. So, let me bring you back to that word that the French would shout whenever they would serve the ball look alive, 10A. Right, if that's how they were using it, if they were using it to mean look alive, it would make sense considering that's what you would want to hear if you had a ball barreling towards you, right? You would want this reminder to look alive, to pay attention. So as we've been going through this series, as we've been looking at at the book of Philippians, throughout Paul's letter, he has been giving us a reminder not to look alive, but to rejoice in the Lord. And this reminder to rejoice in in the Lord is a reminder that, that we need not just today, but I would say we need this reminder most of the time because throughout this life, we may not have a ball barreling towards us, But throughout this life, we may have trials and tragedies coming our way. We might have problems and persecutions barreling towards us. And so Paul recognizing that that this life is filled with things that are just barreling towards us, coming our direction, he gives us a reminder that we saw last week. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice so let me just pause right here and ask, what do you feel like is barreling towards you right now? What do you feel like is barreling towards you right now in your life? It's, it's coming your direction. You see it coming. And let me just say what Paul said, rejoice in the Lord Always, I'll say it again, rejoice in whatever circumstance you might find yourself in, whatever you might be going through in life, whatever might be coming your way, whether it's a good time or a difficult time, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me now to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to close this series out by looking at verses 10 through 23. That's the remainder of the book. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. Now, as you're turning there, I want to take you back to what we looked at in verse 9 last week. In verse 9, Paul said, Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I think those words serve as a good reminder for us as we close out this letter, that, that we would look at Paul's words here and we would take Paul's words to heart, that, that we would look at the example of Paul's life and we would take his example to heart. That as we see Paul in prison for sharing the gospel and as we see Paul even continue to share the gospel while he's in prison, as, as we see Paul in a place that, that he really doesn't want to be And yet, in this place that he doesn't want to be, he's still filled with and walking in this undeniable joy that that we would take his words and his example to heart that we might also walk in and experience this joy as well. That we would apply his, his words to the Philippian church to our lives as well. And I think it's worthy to note that Paul didn't just say, Do what you have heard from me. Paul said, Do what you've heard from me and seen in me. So if you're a parent, I hope that you you have learned that saying do as I say and not as I do is not an effective way to parent. right? Because your children are not just going to listen to your words. They are going to see your actions and they are going to learn from your actions. So let me just give you a phrase that you have definitely heard many times actions speak louder than words actions speak louder than words now this is not the first sermon that that this phrase has showed up in because this actually originated in a sermon in the 1200s by a a man by the name of saint anthony of padua and so in his sermon he said actions speak louder than words let your words teach and your actions speak Paul taught with his words here in this letter, but he also modeled what he was teaching with his life. He he didn't just say, this is what I'm telling you. He also said, "Look look at what I've done, how I am living as well. Apply these things, what you've heard from me and what you've seen in me, apply these things to your life. And so as we see Paul say that we are to rejoice in the Lord in any and all circumstances, we also see that Paul was rejoicing in the Lord in in all circumstances as well. And so we would do well to take his words and his actions to heart to apply it in our lives as well. Because as we wrap up this series... I, I don't want you to misunderstand and think that this was just an entertaining series, like a series you might watch on Netflix, and as soon as it's over, you're just moving on to the next thing. Now, as we've gone through this series, my desire is that, that you will take what you have learned in this series, that you would cling to these words, that you would apply these things to your life, so that you will remember... No matter what circumstance you might find yourself in in the future, you can still rejoice in the Lord. No matter what circumstance you might find yourself in in the future, you would be reminded of where your joy is to come from. And it's not from your circumstances, it's from your Lord. So with that in mind, let's read Paul's final words here, verses 10 through 23 of chapter 4. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you, Philippians, know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica... "'You sent gifts for my needs several times. "'Not that I seek the gift, "'but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. "'But I have received everything in full, "'and I have an abundance. "'I am fully supplied, "'having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, "'a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, "'pleasing to God. "'And my God will supply all your needs "'according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus.' Now, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, as we look at this passage, I want to begin with what we see Paul say there in verse 10. Paul said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. So if you remember back in chapter two, Paul talked about two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus was a man that the Philippian church sent to Paul to to essentially take a care package to Paul. And this care package included some financial support for Paul. Now, up until this time that, that Epaphroditus took this care package to Paul, they were loving and, and caring for Paul. They were supporting Paul through their prayers. But up until they, they sent this care package, they, they hadn't had the opportunity yet to, to show their love, their care, and their support for Paul in a tangible way. And so they sent Epaphroditus with this Care package to to show in this tangible way that they loved and and that they cared for him. So now we're going to come back to what we see Paul say in verses eleven through thirteen a little bit later. But what I want to do right now is jump down to what we see in verse fourteen. Paul says, "Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship." Now again, this is in the context of the care package that. Paul had received from the Philippian church this was in the context of that financial support that he had received from the Philippian church And so I think that that we have this good reminder here from what Paul says that we do well when we seize opportunities to give We do well when we seize opportunities to give because here's the reality giving often refocuses our hearts Giving often refocuses our hearts. Giving helps us to take our eyes off of ourselves, and it helps us to place our eyes onto the need, the needs of others. So if you participated in, in Operation Christmas Child those shoeboxes, then let me first say thank you. But but if you participated in that, my desire is that as you were We're filling those boxes as you were shopping for those gifts to put inside of those boxes that your focus wasn't on yourself, rather your focus was on the child that you were buying the gifts for. I loved going shopping with Ethan to fill up those boxes because as we walked up and down the toy aisles, I think many times it's easy for us when we go shopping, to see things that we would like, to see things that we would want for ourselves. At 40 years old, I still see things on the toy aisle that I'm like, man, that looks like fun. I want that for myself. But as we were walking up and down the toy aisle, we weren't just looking for things that we would like. We were looking for what's something that's gonna light up This child's eyes when they open the shoebox, what's something that's going to make their day when they receive this gift? Giving often refocuses our hearts. And so Paul tells the Philippian church, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship because they weren't just focused on themselves, they were focused on, on Paul and his needs But giving doesn't just refocus our hearts. I want you to understand giving is pleasing to God. Giving is pleasing to God. Let's jump down to verse 18. Paul said, But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Giving is pleasing to God. But why does giving please God? Why does our giving please God? If everything is subject to Christ, which is something that we talked about last week, if everything truly belongs to God, why does God desire for us to give? So I want you to understand, God doesn't need our stuff, but he desires our hearts. God doesn't need our stuff, but he desires our hearts. And all too often, it's our stuff and it's our money that, that is intertwined with our hearts. Jesus says this very clearly in Matthew 6, 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so God desires for us to give and he's pleased with, with us when we give, not because he needs our stuff, but because he desires our hearts and giving of our stuff and giving in our finances is a way for us to humbly submit our hearts before the Lord as we trust that he is going to to take care of us and provide for us as we give. In fact, Paul says in verse 19, "...and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus." Understand, when we give, we are trusting that God will provide. When we give, we are trusting that God will provide. So I've shared part of this story before. I haven't shared this full story with you. So I'm going to share the whole story now, and I'll I'll remind you when, when we get to the part that I've shared with you before. But this was about seven or eight years ago while I was still serving up in Watauga, And we were in a financial time where we felt like we were being hit from every direction. Maybe you felt like that before. We had hospital bills, car repairs, all of these unexpected expenses just kept popping up. We felt like we were being hit from every direction. And as I was getting ready to pay my bills for the month, the first thing that I always gave before I paid my bills, I always gave... My, my tithe and offering, I, I say that in past sense, I still do that today, right? But, but as I was getting ready to pay my bills and knowing all of these extra expenses and, and I'm looking at the amount that I was going to give in my tithe and offering, I had this thought come into my mind, a, a very fleshly thought, if I just give less to the church this month, I will be able to use this money to pay X, Y, Z. Maybe you've had that thought before too. And as soon as that thought came into my mind, immediately I believed that the Lord spoke this into my spirit. Don't give less, give more, and I will provide. Don't give less, give more, and I will provide. And so uh, already, right, that's, that's already a struggle for me alone. So I continue in prayer, and, and, and I'm asking God, all right, if I'm supposed to give more, how much do you want me to give? And I felt like the Lord specifically wanted me to, to give $50 extra in our offering that month. Now, $50 extra, that may not seem like a lot. But at that time, and really again, $50 was about a tank of gas at that time, depending on the size of vehicle that you drive. For, for me, $50 was a tank of gas. And so I began to have a kind of an argument in prayer with God. Maybe you've been there. And I'm telling God, God, if I give an extra $50 in my tithe and offering this month, I'm going to be a tank of gas short at the end of the month. And again, I felt like the Lord said, don't give less, give more, and I will provide. So uh, that following Sunday, I gave $50 more in our tithe and offering. This is not something that I told anybody else other than Sarah and I. We talked about this. She knew what I had done. But we didn't talk about any of this with anybody else. Nobody knew the financial struggles that we were going through at the time. Nobody knew that I had given extra in in our offering. Uh, Our church is set up up there, very similar to here. Uh, Even the pastor didn't see uh, what we were giving in our offering. There were just a couple of key people that that saw the, the, the offerings that people were giving. And so nobody really knew that I had given $50 extra except God knew. And so this is the part of the story that I have shared before. Later that night, I pulled into a gas station that I typically did not get gas at. Very rare occasion for me to stop at this gas station. I pulled into this gas station, pulled up to the gas pump, and as I was getting ready to put my card into the gas pump, an arm reached around And they slid their card in instead, and they bought my gas for me. Turned out it was a a member of of the church, and they said, I saw you pull up, and I just felt like the Lord wanted me to pay for your gas tonight. And so immediately, I was reminded of God's provision. Immediately, I was reminded of that argument that that I had had with God, worried about a gas, a tank of gas, right? Now, God could have supplied that fifty dollars extra he could have gotten that back to me in any way possible but he specifically bought me a tank of gas to show me what you're worried about i can provide right. and so as god paid for that tank of gas i i realized in that moment god you are my provider and so if you can pay for my tank of gas you can take care of all of these extra bills as well When we give, we are trusting that God will provide. So Paul commends the Philippian church on their giving. He commends them. He he expresses his deep gratitude for for their faithfulness in in giving this care package because it was a way for them to refocus their hearts. It, it, It was a way for for them to please God in their giving, and it was also a way for them to trust that God would be their provider. But now I want us to come back to verses 11 through 13. Because although Paul was thankful for their gift, he wanted them to understand that it is not their gift or their finances that brought him joy and contentment he wanted them to understand that that whether he had received that gift or not yes he was thankful but whether he had received that gift or not he still had joy he still had peace happiness and contentment because his contentment was not rooted in the gift that he had received from them his contentment was rooted in the Lord. And so for the next few moments, what I want us to do, I think it's important for us as we wrap up this series, to look at what Paul says here about contentment, to see what we can learn about us walking in and having contentment as well. So first, contentment is something that must be learned. Contentment is something that must be learned. Now, it is produced in us by God's Spirit... But we have to learn that. We have to learn that it is produced in us by God's Spirit. Let's look at verse 11 again. It says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Contentment is something that must be learned. Contentment is not something that we're born with. It's not part of our natural human fleshly nature. If you go into any daycare, and you look at the youngest of children, if you see a kid playing with a toy, and there's another kid playing with the toy, this kid wants that kid's toy, right? If I have it, it's mine. If they have it, it's mine, right? Uh, That's kind of how kids act. They're not content with what they have. They want what someone else has. Now, I use the daycare as a starter example, Because really, that's true in our lives as adults as well. I'm not happy with my car. I wish I had their car. I'm not happy with my house. My house isn't big enough. I wish my house was as big as their house. I really don't like the salary that I have. I wish I made as much as they do. Or or maybe in just a, a broader sense, I'm not happy with the life that I have. Their life looks so much better than mine. And we just walk in, because we we play this comparison game, we just continue to walk in discontentment because we're rooting our lives in the wrong things. Now, why do we do this? Why why are we constantly on the pursuit for that thing that's going to bring us contentment? Because from the time we're born, we're looking for that one thing that's going to fill the void in our life and there is a void in our life if you don't uh, if you're here and you don't have jesus you may recognize man i've got this void in my life i'm looking for something to fill uh, to fill this void so that i can be content we we we're kind of born with recognizing man something is missing in our lives the problem is we're looking for the things of this world to provide for us what only Jesus can give to us. We're looking for the things of this world to provide for us what only Jesus can give to us. And so the question is, when are we gonna learn that the things of this world aren't gonna give us what we truly need? When are we gonna learn that, that the things of this world can't give us the, the satisfaction That I need? How how many more things do I have to buy before I realize that more stuff isn't going to bring me contentment? How many more promotions do I have to pursue before I realize that a position and a title is not what's going to bring me contentment? How many more bottles do I have to drink? How, How much more food do I have to eat before I realize that those things aren't going to satisfy my deepest, greatest need. We're looking for the things of this world to provide for us what only Jesus can give to us. When are we going to learn? When are we going to catch on to the fact that it's not the things of this world that we need? It's Jesus. We truly need Jesus. True and lasting contentment is never going to be found in the things of this world, but true and lasting contentment will always be found in in jesus when are we going to learn so contentment is something that must be learned second and finally contentment is not contingent upon our circumstances contentment is not contingent upon our circumstances let's look at verses 12 and 13 now paul says i know both how to make do with little and i know how to make do with a lot In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. It's something we need to learn, but it is produced in us when we have Jesus. But we have to learn that. Contentment is not contingent upon our circumstances now verse 13 is a very well-known verse among christians right i can do all things through christ who strengthens me we might have it on our mugs we might have it on a t-shirt on a bumper sticker we might see it at the high school football game on a friday night i can do all things through christ who strengthens me however many times what we do is we we take that verse out of context We might say, you know what, we're going to win this football game tonight because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or I'm going to go into this job promotion and I'm going to get this job, or this job interview, I'm going to get this job, this promotion, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But really, that is a misapplication of that verse. The appropriate, appropriate application of that verse would be to say, you know what, whether we win or lose this football game tonight... I'm going to be content because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Or I'm going to go into this job interview, whether I get the job or not, I'm going to be content because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see, Philippians 4.13 is not about your success or my success. Philippians 4.13 is about our contentment. Paul says, whether I'm well-fed or whether I'm hungry, whether I have abundance or whether I'm in need, I've learned the secret of being content. It's that I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Contentment is some, something that must be learned. And Paul says he has learned the secret of being content and his contentment was not contingent upon his circumstances. His contentment was fully rooted in his Lord. So let me just pause right here and ask, where is your contentment rooted today? Where is your contentment rooted? What are you turning to to fill that void in your life? And can I just tell you, Jesus is what you need, and Jesus is enough. I don't know if you remember that, that Bush's baked beans commercial. There, there's a man sitting in a chair next to his dog, and he's talking about, why their their baked beans taste so good. And he says it's a secret family recipe, and and he's only shared it with with one other soul, the dog, and it's not talking, right? Paul, Paul doesn't shy away from, he's not hiding what the secret of contentment is. He says, I've learned the secret, and the secret is Jesus. And so he tells us, if you want this true and biblical joy, If you want this peace happiness and contentment it's not going to be found in the things of this world it's not going to be found in more stuff it's not going to be found in in food it's not going to be found of being in prison or out of prison contentment is only going to be found in jesus christ and in jesus christ alone and when we find jesus we find this true and biblical joy Jesus is the one that can give us that, this true, lasting peace, happiness, and contentment that we've been talking about throughout this whole series. And so the question that I have as we close is, do you know Jesus as your Lord? Do you know Jesus as your Lord? Are you still searching for that joy, this true biblical joy? Are you still searching for what's going to fill the void in your life? Today, would you recognize that it's Jesus that you need? And would you allow for him to become the Lord of your life? If you don't know Jesus as Lord, if you've never made that decision, then I want to give you the opportunity to respond. And so in just a moment, we're going to sing another song. And as we sing this song, this is going to be your opportunity to respond. And if you're here today and you would say, that's me. I've never allowed Jesus to be the Lord of my life, but today I'm ready. I want you to know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, and he rose again three days later victoriously. And so the invitation is open to any and all who would call upon the name of the Lord. If you will turn from your sins and confess Jesus as Lord, today, not only can he save you, but he can give you his spirit, and you can begin to experience this undeniable joy that we're talking about. Now maybe you're here and you would say, I've given my life to Christ already. But maybe you, you admit, man, I've still been searching for, for joy in all the wrong places. Jesus is my Lord. But man, I, I still need to learn that Jesus is where my contentment is found. If that's you, you can confess that to the Lord right where you're at and allow for him to begin to fill you and, and you can allow for him to bring you that contentment today. Maybe and you would say, I've given my life to Christ. I've never taken that next step of baptism If that's you, then I would invite you to respond as well. We don't believe that baptism saves us, but we do believe that that it's part of walking in obedience to the Lord. And so if you've given your life to Christ, but you've never been baptized, I'd love to, to make that commitment with you today so that you can take that step. Maybe you're here and you would say, I've given my life to Christ and I've been baptized by immersion already. I've been visiting First Baptist Church. I know God's calling me to make this my church home to link up my life with, with other believers here at First Baptist Church Stockdale, to be on mission together. If that's you, I would invite you to respond as well. I'd love to talk with you, pray with you, so that you can join First Baptist Church Stockdale. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do in these final moments, I would encourage you to respond obediently. Would you stand with me right now? Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Thanks for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of every service, I offer an invitation to respond and I'd like to invite you to respond today. If you'd like to make Jesus Christ your Lord, or if you'd like information about membership here at First Baptist Stockdale, then head on over to fbcstockdale.org respond. Your response will come directly to me, and I'll follow up with you this week. God bless you, and have a great week.